Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where each week we do laps in the pool of hospitality. Tim, do you recall the first time you drank? I don't recall the first. Uh, I remember the first time I got drunk. Yeah. In high was school. it funny? It wasn't that funny. What did you drink? Um, so I, I, pl- I was a tennis player, as were you. Uh, my freshman year, I played varsity tennis and the older kids took me out drinking i went to like a house party yeah and i remember uh somebody handed me a uh it's like a, a what's like a what size is like the plastic like smaller than a 750 but it's like so you oh, like a 375 like a, yeah. oh like a 200 ml like the the hip flask size yeah but it's larger i guess yeah it's i would guess it's probably a 375 okay and someone handed it was like maybe a third full and they're like here tyranny drink this and I did. And I drank the whole thing. And they're like, oh, you're going to be wasted. And I remember like... <laughs> Wait, was it vodka? Was no, it, it was uh, Captain Morgan, the Spice oh, Rum. Ugh. And I remember thinking Doozy. like, like there's just the fear of like, oh no, what's like, going to happen? <laughs> and, like, like how long well, I'm impressed until that you, just you drank it without this. asking any questions. Or yeah. I guess you saw what it was. Yeah. Uh, nothing nothing bad happened. I had a pretty good time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's much better than uh, one of the first stories I remember. What happened? Uh, well, basically we... We drank very silly things, uh, like one of the things. I think you just drink whatever you can get your hands on. Yeah, I mean, kind age. of that. I think what we <laughs> we thought we were really smart, and we would take shots of vodka and uh, chase it with milk because we felt that the milk neutralized the... Sure, yeah, something the, basic to <laughs> yeah. kind of settle the stomach. <laughs> yeah, it was insane. It's a, yeah, that's like a, a high schooler's white Russian. Yeah, it was awful. Um, but I remember one of the first times that I got drunk uh, was at my friend Josh's. And I remember I, I must have thrown up in the middle of the night and wasn't really paying attention to where I was throwing up. But I did find, you know, it was some kind of container or trash can or something. <clears throat> and when we woke up in the morning, we realized that I had thrown up into like a mesh trash can. Who, who realized? <laughs> I think we, I mean, maybe Josh like did and woke me up and was like, dude. Uh, <laughs> and so there's like my puke that obviously come out the sides of this mesh trash trash can and who cleaned this up and then uh basically as we were realizing it and probably uh taking in the mess my my parents i think one of his parents called up and was like danny your parents are here to pick you up and i was like all right josh gotta go peace (laughs) (laughs) peace thanks for the good time See you next. See you next time. Yeah. So unfortunately, uh, Josh probably had to deal with that. Were your parents cool with you drinking at a young age? I don't know. I think they didn't really ask questions. I think nothing. I mean, nothing super bad happened. Yeah. I think as long as you're responsible, I guess. Yeah. Right? I think the scary part, looking back now that I am a parent, is just the fear of like drunk driving. I grew up in LA where oh, everyone yeah. drove, right. so um, that is a problem. Trying to imagine the repercussions there. It's pretty tough. Yeah. And the cops in LA are not chill in any sort of way. <laughs> I, I wouldn't imagine. No, yeah. Here, I feel like, I mean, I don't want to jinx myself, but here I feel like you can kind of run stops or roll stop signs, I should say, and not really worry about getting tickets. But in LA, yeah, any tiny traffic infraction is a ticket. I've never been pulled over in this, in Chicago, but I've certainly gotten my share of red light tickets, speeding tickets, yeah, all 100%. that bullshit. Yeah, 100%. They need, I, to, they need to cut that out. Stop gouging us with the tickets. Yeah, it's you know, tough. It's we tough pay to have cars in, in the city. We're paying a, a ton for parking. Yeah. Leave us alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I remember the first time I drank on the podcast, 
<laughs> it was with uh, our guest this week, Dan Abel, who brought a ton of beer from Pilot Project. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, and uh, you'll hear uh, some some awkward pauses while we both turned away from the mic to burp. <laughs> anyway, Super charming in yeah. the studio. It was a great conversation, though. Yeah, so, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know Dan by his nickname, Danable Lecter, but... <laughs> But that's that's how we know him. Yeah, that's how we know him now. Yeah, that's how we know him now. So without further ado, here's Here's our our conversation conversation with Dan Abel of Pilot Project. Where are you from? (laughs) Originally, I'm from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, which is a southwest suburb of Minneapolis. Usually I say the Twin Cities, so that can sound a little bit cooler, but I'm just going to own... How far is it from the Twin Cities? It's like probably 20 miles. It's a second ring suburb. Okay. So after the first ring. So it's in the second arrondissement. Do you identify with one of the Twin Cities more than the other? So my uh, cell phone is is a St. Paul number. It's a, I think... I I think it just said Minnesota when you called. Did it? See, now they're just thrown out any type of <laughs> personal identity um i guess technically minneapolis i spent more time there okay because i noticed great. it's not like brotherly love like there's I no i mean people have opinions yeah they do we used to go there for menswear shows and people were like <clears throat> i think we were staying in minneapolis and we the show was in st paul people were like not having it see i feel like people <laughs> in minneapolis really want people in st paul to wish that they were in minneapolis but then if you're in st paul you don't really care about minneapolis hmm. and but but that's like london and manchester like, yeah it's london doesn't think about manchester but everyone in manchester is like oh london we're just as good <laughs> it's like chicago and new york i don't know second cities yeah i mean chicago and new york's a little different than the twin cities i would say I think they're identical. <laughs> yeah. No, but it, I think it. No, it's similar to like the uh, Manchester London thing. It's like Manchester, like blue collar manufacturing stuff. All right, we we don't have to agree on that. All right, so uh, so did you go to school I like there? That you're as well? Swinging for the fences, though. Well, you know. Uh, no, so I spent my first um, eighteen years in Eden Prairie, all of it. And then uh, I went to University of Wisconsin, Madison, so I'm a Badger. Best Halloween in the college game. Did, is it still, or did they finally it's, cut so it down? So there was a point, and I think it was just shortly after I graduated, where Mountain Dew started sponsoring it. Oh, no. And that's like, <laughs> there's just like moments where you're like, okay, when did Williamsburg start sucking? And that was when, was it with the Whole Foods or the Apple Store went in? And then like, <laughs> when did the Halloween at, at, in Madison, Wisconsin start sucking? Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. Wow. What year did you graduate? Uh, 2010. Okay. I graduated, we both graduated in 08, right? Yep. And so I went to Lake Forest College, which oh, is yeah, yeah. not too far from Madison, but like people would be like, oh, we're, we're going to go to Madison for Halloween. And then inevitably they'd come back with like a black eye yeah. or like we got tear gassed or something. Everyone mm-hmm. like kind of limps back to campus. So what does a Mountain Dew sponsorship look like? Of, a, of an adult drinking, uh, yeah. F- yeah, great Underage question. Drinking. There was, without question, a, um, a some type of uh, stage for bands to play, and they were always, you know, the the, gar- the garbage bands that couldn't play at, like, the Majestic, which is right at the center of the Capitol, and 
Um, so I think that was really it. And then mm. maybe maybe they would give you a can of Mountain Dew that had water in it to sober up. But <laughs> the original liquid death. Yeah, that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before it became cool. Oh yeah. man! What did wow. they just raise? Valuation of like seven hundred million dollars, something like that. Was was it just that? I feel like it was. I thought. I, oh man, oh, that's just crazy. so. I think. That, yeah, I think insane. they raised like seventy million is seven hundred valuation or something like that. And then whoever came up with what's the sparkling water, like the the bottle that you put into the thing, and then oh, uh, yeah, what is that called? Uh, like a soda stream. Soda stream. Soda stream. The soda stream. People are kill, like. Are like pulling their hair out because they didn't come up with just putting it in a can yeah. <laughs> yeah. we did all this r&d it's just water they don't want to make their own water <laughs> yeah they don't have the time uh, wow that's just so what'd you study um i studied marketing i studied economics did you do the do i did i do the do yeah like the mountain do yeah um i was a big proponent of so sun drop is like a thing that they drink in wisconsin mm. if you're a soda drinker it's like the wisconsin equivalent drinker yeah. what's the flavor uh it's like the mountain dew oh okay it's basically a mountain dew but for wisconsin because hmm. oh. wisconsin wants they also call um drinking fountains bubblers there yeah. no, hmm. that, that was a mind-blowing in los angeles a bubbler was a, a little different was that a? <laughs> <laughs> Got it. As Dan hit the bubble, that was a literal bubble. That was a good sound effect. This is a very bespoke interview. I, I appreciate this one. Um, Wait, so what? Sorry. What so I studied really marketing. Study? I studied economics, and then I played in bands. I studied. I rode for three weeks. That was really important. It was a formative three weeks that I realized hmm. I did not want to do that. Um, what do you mean, rode like? Like crew. Oh, whoa. I'm tall. I'm 6'4". Oh, and so when I went to the... No, no, no. <laughs> when I went to uh, orientation, and there was like two, six, seven guys standing outside of the little town hall area where we were all gathering. And they just looked at me and pointed and said, do you... Have you ever done crew? And I'm like, crew neck? V-neck? <laughs> like, I have crew in my hair. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a pomade guy, actually. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but... They they like pointed me out, told me to come, and then I learned that you had to uh, row a canoe at four a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and being of like the creative, more musically inclined, uh, like those are really important creative hours of the yeah. day. And so I was so wasn't really feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, three months is you lost three weeks. Three, oh, weeks. three weeks. Sorry, I look at you. They go, yeah. this guy rows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it my stature? Uh, but anyway, didn't so. Marketing, economics, played some music, um, attempted to uh, do a sport, and failed at that. And what then, was the sport? Oh, well, that oh, was crew, yeah, crew, if you yeah. call that a sport. Yeah, and that was crew. Um, and yeah, that was pretty much. Did you hang college. around long enough to learn like what a coxswain does? Like, I mean, yes, because there was always like a metronome. Well, there was, there's always like this, the, the short guy on the team. And yeah. so you have to be, like, I was recruited because I'm tall. So what the hell is that person doing here? <laughs> and then, yeah, you come to learn that there's that position. They as hit well. the fork in the road where it's like jockey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it sounds like you were pretty well balanced in college, both on the artistic pursuits and also like kind of the more rational, logical. Yeah. I mean, I, 
so I studied, um, but I didn't go to class. I did not do that very much. Um, I the business classes. Um, this is no knock on UW Business School; they're great, but uh, it just wasn't filling the gaps for me in terms of what marketing was and economics. Is a lot of it's a lot of logic, but it's also a lot of psychology and and you know, stuff like that. And so I felt like I joined a bunch of student organizations. I started working at the Majestic Theater, um, which is the uh, like an 800-person music venue downtown, and I feel like I learned more in doing stuff like that than I did necessarily in actual business school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was it was still like a pretty traditional collegiate experience, um, if you will, outside of just playing music. So, with all these interests, which one did you pick for your? first career so i um uh, it's funny i went to the co-founder of pilot project and i went to school together and so we would always go um pick you know like a six pack of craft beer which back in you know 2006 craft beer was a thing back then i feel like yeah. craft beer now is just beer but um yeah we would pick uh, a six pack at the store or four pack whatever they came in back then and then you know go go pre-game show pre-game um show at the majestic or, or wherever else we wanted to go and so i graduate uh college and and um with with a background playing writing music i decided to move to la do the super cliche uh thing of you know not a dollar to my name lit up, live out of my car my sister's apartment that kind of stuff and did that um attempting to play music i'm gonna yeah, that's cool. Do it. Do what you got to do. Dan brought a lot Here, of I, I'm, I've been like waiting for it. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, love it. It's the first beer of the day. Um, so moved to moved to LA. Uh, started playing music, you know, quote unquote professionally. I.e., like I was trying to to make money doing it. Um, but in LA at that time, in order to play, usually the phrase is pay to play. You you know you pay to play at any coffee shop or some of the smaller music venues, the way that they would get you similar to like getting involved in comedy um, is you got to sell seats. And so if you don't sell seats, you got to pay for what those seats would cost. And I didn't know anybody in LA. So um, I ended up just paying most of the time or inviting my sister to every show. Mm -hmm. She lived there. So she'd save me five bucks. Nice. Um, like at the whiskey at Roxy, so I play. Stop, uh, where are we talking? About? You're giving me a lot of credit. Uh, the Viper Room, <laughs> yeah. The Viper Room. I played. I played a Hotel Cafe a couple times. I actually played Hotel Cafe on a night that John Mayer played, which mm-hmm. was really Whoa. cool. He nice. like he showed up out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, I, I think I played the Roxy like once. Mm. Um, I went there a lot and wanted to play it. Yeah. Uh, but just, you know, and then there was the coffee shop circuit of, like, the real no-names. Um, but in doing that, I, I made a lot of friends in the industry um, and started writing with people. And that's where I think I found my mojo. I, I loved performing. It was fun. I got, a, I got a total kick out of it. But it was never going to pay the bills unless I was going to actually, like, you know, go full Marcus Mumford or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I started writing for people. And I uh, got put in a lot of rooms where I was recording at Bruno Mars's studio at one point. Oh. And 
his producer was like listening in the next room while I think Bruno was chain smoking out front, uh, which blows your mind when you hear his voice and then like watch him light up 12 cigarettes back to back. I'm always amazed when I see <laughs> singers smoking. It's, it absolutely stuns. It's a, it was mind blowing. But uh, his producer's like, hey, that's a really cool track. <laughs> It's a really cool track. Do you mind if we take the stems from, uh, take the pieces from that song and and try and <laughs> and use Bruno's voice over it? Like, cool. So you, that was a great way of you saying, "Hey, you suck, but elements of what you just did are okay." So can we try it with Bruno? And so I said, "Of course." I mean, for money, for compensation. Yeah, I mean, for not as much money as you'd think. Um, but, but it, it was like, at least some. It wasn't just like stealing or stuff. No, it, like it covered rent for that month. So yeah, that was that's nice. cool. Yeah. So then that, 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 that sort of spiraled into me writing music for a few other people, um, but then also sort of parlaying that into a job of music marketing. And yeah. so I worked for a company called CAA, Creative Artist Agency. Mm-hmm. Um, the, if you ever watched Entourage, it's mm-hmm. like I was Lloyd. Yeah. Um, so Lloyd! I did, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And, I, and I had, you know, I had every cliche, again, like I had a, blue, a Blackberry thrown at my head. <laughs> I've been <laughs> screamed at by agents. I've, I sat in the back of Diana Ross's car rolling phone calls for her at one point in time. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's fun. Joiner's podcast is brought to you by Party Can. Party Can is a premium batched, large format, full flavored cocktail that uses high end liquor, real juice, real ingredients. It's all natural, gluten free. It's 12 drinks in a single can. And guess what? That can actually floats. You can take it to the beach, the pool, on the boat, camping, hiking, to the game, everywhere you go. It is recyclable and reusable. It's a party in a can and everyone's invited. Party Can is available at multiple retailers around Chicago, around the country, and you can always go to drinkpartycan.com to find a local store or have one shipped to you or a friend. And now, back to our interview. Yeah, I mean, so did any of the people you wrote for at that time or collaborate with at that time become... You know, known. I mean, obviously, yeah. Bruno Mars is pretty big. Bruno Mars, um, again, I don't know. He bought the rights to record one song that I had written, and so I don't know definitively what he ever used from it. Um, but he did. Yeah. So buy. what were they? What were they buying? What were the elements? Was it the lyrics or the music itself? It was basically the entire composition. Oh. Um, but again, when these artists are working with their teams, they're looking at 150 different songs to go into one album, and so they might mm-hmm. be picking them apart. They're working with you know, professional songwriters on how to, again, p- put those 12-ish songs together. And so he may have taken bits and pieces, uh, yeah. but I I have no way of knowing. Hmm. Um, and it's funny, like, my music did not sound like Bruno Mars's music. It just, he, you know, in theory, pulled elements of it. Uh, I did sell music to Lady, now called Lady A, yeah. um, Lady Annabellum mm-hmm. at the time. But it's the same kind of thing. Like I don't know if they ever actually used it. And then I used to co-write with a guy. Um, he goes by the name of Elephant, and he's more in like the EDM DJ space. Hmm. Uh, but he's got a lot of stuff out there now too. Really solid. Cool. Well, so how long did this chapter last? It was short. I mean, it was about two years. I think I kept writing music for as long as someone would listen to it, but it was never. You know, in, in terms of trying to actually find uh, or, or create an income for myself, it, that, that was about a two-year stint in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, during my time at CAA, 
I was put in contact with a recruiter at Google who was recruit. Uh, she was trying to build out the YouTube music team uh, because YouTube music was becoming a thing. They recognized that that product had a lot to offer within the music space. Uh, so they asked me if I wanted to contribute and I said, Google, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of that. Yeah. And this was 2011, 2012. And what's crazy about that is back in 2012, I was there was still fewer than 20,000 employees at Google. And the entire YouTube team was about 300 people. Wow. Yeah. And so, so YouTube didn't start to like 2006. They were, it was founded 2005, 2006, and then it was bought shortly after for yeah. $2.4 billion. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, but yet $2.4 billion. And then in 2012, it was still only about 300 employees. Mm. So I joined a relatively small marketing team. I first, first focused on like music editorial stuff like that. There was a point in time where the the homepage for YouTube was actually hand curated, which goes against all logic for how the internet exists today. But yeah. you know, you only humans knew better back in 2012. So uh, we would literally hand curate, you know, Gangnam Style and stuff like that <laughs> on the front page. So you could you made people go viral. So my my like um, in a sense. We would we would contribute in a massive way to people's success. Yeah, that was like my so fast forward to pilot project as this incubator. My first uh, understanding of incubating was YouTube, or I mean CAA and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. was YouTube actually putting musicians on the front page of of the YouTube platform? There was a point in time where Dua Lipa was dropped by Warner Brothers. She wasn't translating. People weren't really digging her. And uh, I had had a program that I oversaw called the YouTube uh, Music Foundry. And we we saw her as an incredible talent. She had just been dropped. (laughs) And so we brought her into this Music Foundry, put mega bucks behind her in terms of, you know, YouTube marketing power. And was she signed to YouTube label? Was the YouTube label? We didn't have a formal label. We were just, we were, it's the same thing as what Pilot Project is now. Everyone's so like, when you made her you? blow up and her album sales, let's say 10x or whatever. Yeah, what's your upside? Or yeah. No? Then, then YouTube's upside is that they get to claim credit. Just credit. Take credit for having But if she's dropped from the label, does she, does Warner Brothers still rip those commissions on those sales? So anything that they own the licensing to, they would still make money. Got it. And then, and then fast forward, she gets picked up, you know, by a label again, and then Mm -hmm. they get to benefit from all of YouTube's work and of course do his work, but. Wow. Yeah, it's fascinating. What what do you, what did you see? I mean, obviously you look at her now, you're like, well, yeah, she's a superstar, but like what? What did you guys see at that time? Like, what made her stand out? So back then, I mean, Duo was 16, 17 years oh, old. Wow. Um, she's she show, she comes to this YouTube. It's a I have a photo on my phone. It's a picture of me in front of a room of six, seven different like music groups, of which Duo is one of them. And it, she's there to learn about the platform. She's there to record a video, and ultimately, you know, YouTube will then back her and in marketing dollars and helping to grow her. So she, so, so it's is she competing? Is this like a... Not really. I mean, it's more about we want... YouTube wanted to elevate budget, the presence. Yeah. yeah. Do they but, still put money behind random artists today? Totally. 
Absolutely. So is that what happened with Bieber too? Um, I think Bieber was a little bit more organic. I mean, yeah. Bieber had literally was found by Usher and then yeah. Usher helped explode him. But the thing that's just crazy about Dua is I'll find this photo on my phone. She shows up in, you know, jean shorts and Chuck Taylors. Like she's not the Dua that we all know today. She was super, I mean, she still is super chill, but she was, she had absolutely no expectations. And she had, in, you know, just been dropped. So this is like, you know, her career, for all she knew, may have been done at that point. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, this program really put a lot behind her. Who's like another artist that they've done this for? Um, since local here, BJ the Chicago Kid was okay. a part of the Foundry. There's a really popular jazz musician named Jacob Collier um, out of the UK that we put through it. Um, I don't know if you know the uh, Reggie Snow was a as a, a hip hop artist out of the UK. He's he was he went through it. Hmm. Um, it's cool. It's still going. Oh yeah, I I don't think the, the that program exists anymore. But um, but there's the still... idea of it. Absolutely cool. So how did you kind of get from there to Pilot Project? So there's a, there was a quick transition to New York at one point, still with YouTube, and then a company here in Chicago called Reverb. Um, oh, yeah. reached out, um, asked if I wanted to come on board. So I led their marketing team for a couple of years. Um, but it, Reverb's another business where it's like focusing, it's building these, these sort of emerging artists, these emerging businesses. And so I had to spend all this time with, um, decentralization is basically what it, what it was taking power away from the big players, giving it to the, the creatives and then letting them build their own connections with fans. And um, along the time of moving to Chicago, uh, my wife and I had our first, our daughter, Lennon, and I couldn't play guitar inside the house anymore. You know, baby's always sleeping. So I picked up the hobby of homebrewing with my co-founder, Jordan. Um, and we'd be, you know, hanging out for a couple hours on a Saturday. And this is the guy you went to college with. Yeah. So and same. what was he doing in the, in the interim between? He, he lived in Madison still. He actually got his master's in records and archives management. Hmm. Um, So he, I mean, he jokes that he basically studied to become a librarian, Um, but, you know, or museum curator, what have you, someone who's like focused on data. Uh, So he and I, yeah, he's living in Madison, but he's coming in for the weekends. We're home brewing in my garage and kind of going through the whole process of like, wow, this is a really creative industry. But from Jordan's perspective, it's like, wow, it's also you know robust with data and all these all these different like points of product differentiation for brewing. You're saying for brewing, yeah. I mean, the temperature that you you know boil your wort to is is like that's a little factoid, right? It's a little mm-hmm. data point, and so all this stuff matters and becomes a part of the story of the product. And so Jordan started mapping it. Um, not quite, again, you're giving us more credit than we probably deserve, but like he's, we started just to see all these different pieces that like, that went into the process that made it really kind of like songwriting. It's equal parts creative, but it's also very logical. Yeah. There's structure to it. Yeah. Totally. Um, and so did he moved to Chicago at, at this point. So when we elected to move forward with the idea of, Hey, well, we learned the brewing space is really expensive. It takes a lot to build, as you know, it takes a lot to, to put into building these restaurants and all this stuff. What would happen if we actually created a, basically a recording studio for, for breweries? And so he jumped. He's like, all right, I'm coming to Chicago. We're going to do this. 
And so we, you know, Reverb is having its path. It eventually sells to Etsy. And so along that mm. same time, we are starting to put together the ideas of this brewery incubator, this recording studio for creative brewers. Wow. And so Reverb sold to Etsy in August of 2019. Pilot Project opens in August of 2019. Wow. Right before did the you pandemic. Have, did you <laughs> manage to get equity with Reverb? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That oh. was a, that was an important okay. part in getting uh, Pilot Project <laughs> off the ground. All right. So it's not like you... So you had a business plan, but it's not like you had to go out and pitch it. Like you no. had the cash to, to at, least, out of the at gate. least get it started. Yeah. I mean, we still did a little fundraise. We still did Friends mm-hmm. and Family and all that for the first... Uh, for version 1.0. Um, but it was, you know, basically the proceeds from, from reverb went directly into building. Cool. So did you have, um, an idea of location? Like you guys are in a great spot right now. Logan square is that, was that always part of the plan or did you guys do a search for where you wanted to, to set up? You really just want to be across the street from a defunct music (laughs) venue. Uh, we looked all over Chicago. Um, it was important to be in Chicago because there are certain laws in the state of Illinois that allow us to do what we were looking to do at the okay. time. Uh, so we looked, I mean, Mount Row, uh, which is the Ravenswood area. We looked in West Loop, West Town. Um, but Logan Square was kind of the, the space that we felt like we wanted to be in. It was the most creative of all of the areas. And so that was that was the winning um area but we looked at like where the whale is now we looked at that building we looked all up and down milwaukee Um, there's a building called the gemini building right here on armitage uh, that we contemplated but then this spot just between it being one big enough and having that parking lot right across the street from what could very well eventually be the congress theater i heard i heard this morning that they finally raised the funds to get that project off I, the ground. I just feel like I've heard that yeah, so many same. different times. I, I know, last, but, but it's funny that it came up this morning. I hope it's true. It'd be so nice. <laughs> yeah. But that I, was, I mean, that was absolutely a piece of, of doing it. And we put a music system in, in our tasting room that would rival a lot of small music venues. Sort just of to hoping. pipe in whatever they were playing. Totally. Or just That's like awesome. to have pre or post shows. We thought that would be kind of cool. My wife used to live in that building, the Congress Theater. They had like oh, apartments really? in there. Yeah. I, I guess they're still going to potentially have it, like a twenty-room hotel, and maybe some some. Yeah, plans. I've seen a lot of plans over time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what what actually happens. There's a lot of fires that happen in that building. I've <laughs> come to realize we always have fire trucks outside. Yeah. Oh, um, even still, well, it's oh yeah vacant. Oh yeah, like, probably squatters. Squatters. Yeah, interesting. Brewers just yeah, hanging just out. That's right. They don't pay them enough. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Geneva. Danny, what is Geneva? Well, Tim, I'm glad you asked. Geneva is a European spirit with a wide range of flavors and lots of personality. It always uses malt spirit and juniper and other botanicals, so some would place it somewhere between gin and whiskey. It can be floral and bright like gin or round and malty like whiskey. Whatever your preference, there's a Geneva out there for you. Even me? Even you, Tim. This campaign is financed with aid from the European Union. Mm-hmm. 
So if somebody, I, I read that uh, like you had a kombucha company come to you before you guys even launched. Mm-hmm. So how what, how did they find you? We the word got out about what like what this thing was. I pushed. I mean, again, my background was in marketing, and so I pushed the like, message of this incubator in a very real way because I knew that if we didn't have demand before we launched, then this idea was not going to happen. Um, so so Luna Bay got in touch with us by the merit of just like people talking in in Chicago. And we were super down to test and R and D and come up with these different ideas. We, you know, we had a professional brewer on staff, so it wasn't going to be Jordan and me trying to figure it out. We had someone who actually knew what they were doing. Even though you both have a brewing ish background, it's kind of like the guy that knows what a G chord looks like on an mm-hmm. acoustic guitar. Like we have that equivalent of of talent. Yeah. Um, but we felt, it, and we brought someone who can, you know, record a guitar solo. Yeah. It's, so is there like if you if somebody wants to brew with you is there an application process what's the what what are you looking for Yeah so we have um a full blown like online application it and it asks you not just what you're trying to do but also what's your brand proposition what's your business plan how are you going to grow this thing um, and then if what you have cobbled together looks good enough, we'll get on the phone, we'll talk, and then we'll bring you in for an, like a proper audition. And it is sort of like Shark Tank or American Idol uh, in terms of you in front of a panel of, ju- of judges. Uh, and then you, you, you know, you do your song and dance. We, we, uh, try your products and talk through that whole pathway. And then, uh, to date we've, we've launched 13 unique brands. Wow. Uh, Two of which are, excuse me, two of which are hard kombucha, and then and you do all the production for all of them. Mm-hmm. Is any of it like you want to launch them and then eventually they'd have their own space? So that's that is mm-hmm. absolutely especially like if the demand is beyond your production capability, which is something that we experience right away. I mean, we we always intended to be the launch pad, not necessarily the partner that would syndicate you uh, to the world or what have you, but. Um, the with Luna Bay specifically, Hard Kombucha, they were first one of the first probably fifteen brands to the table. And so they grew quickly. They grew across the United States. We distributed them to thirteen different states out of our humble little location. Is it self distributed? Uh within the state of Illinois, yes. And then you found But then you partners. have to find partners for outside of the state. They're in Colorado now? They're, they're actually in in southern Illinois. They're oh. at they're at Distill uh brewing. They were in Colorado. So when just to go back to Danny's uh, remark was once they hit the certain inflection point, which for us is basically our, our production bottleneck, we will then find a new home for them, whether it was oh, a cool. contract brewery or their own space. Uh, that's what the goal we're trying to get them to. And is each company or each partner a unique deal? Or is it always like, hey, we're going to give you 100K for 10% kind of thing? It's, uh, it is unique. I think we've been trying to streamline it. A little bit more than what how we started out, but it's tough because everyone has their own plans. Yeah, and, and then everyone grows at their own pace. Yeah, there are different stages of development. I guess. So have you changed the deals with multiple partners that have grown at rates beyond what? Or what is there we, like a phase to it, like a Series A kind of thing, and then so on and so forth? Like my the goal that I try to get to because any of the partners that we work with, if we invest in them, because we don't invest in all of them, but if we do invest in them, then it's it's a very small amount, and it's the purpose there is to get them to a point where, in your first round of funding, when you give away twenty percent of your company, our goal is that twenty percent that you're giving away is for 
a few million dollars, not, you know, tens of thousands. And so we'll take a very small stake, but hopefully uh, the actual development that you go through with us uh, pays you back almost immediately. Have you guys gone in on second rounds with anybody? Um, we haven't yet because we've not had the capital, mm-hmm. but a big piece of what we just did and what we just fundraised was to elect- essentially build a, a venture capital arm on the side of our of our business. Cool. And then you mentioned that you are not always financially supporting your partners. So the ones that do not receive uh, financial aid, are they, you're just giving your facilities, your expertise, like how does that work? So, the, I mean, the reality, because we've, cut so many costs with having the facility with having all the equipment all that stuff is the actual cost to brew at our facility is not very expensive it's pretty cheap uh, all things considered and so there are certain people that come to the table where they don't need the investment they they already did some of their fundraising and in that instance it wouldn't really make sense for us to be like okay well we'll cut the cost of that's just not where we exist in their space uh, so in that instance, it's, it's a far more, it, I wouldn't call it transactional because we still are helping them with marketing. We're helping that we're operating like an agency. Yeah. yeah so, at what point did you guys decide like the, you, you started to see what these brands needed beyond just brewing. At what point did you guys say we need to be a full, full service I agency? Mean, pretty quickly. The one piece that's tough and you know, uh, and more, probably better than anybody is, is the, the creative side is especially difficult to advise people on because you want to you have to have sort of like your style yeah. and your marker mm-hmm. but you also don't want to create like a homogenous product for every single brand. And so we found out that hey, we know the ins and outs of this industry on the legal sense, accounting, all of these other pieces outside of the creative realm. And so as long as we could satisfy all of these other buckets, we would then push them like work with your own creative team, work with people that can help you know evangelize your brand yeah and then we'll just operate to support it yeah exactly um so that was you know kind of i would almost say something that we wanted to offer out of the gate when we first opened we just have had over time a, a growing understanding of all of the legal and other business oriented nuances so beer is so personal like i my favorite beer is just um, High Life. Like mm-hmm. I, I like it just an easy to drink, <laughs> yeah, yeah. low ABV. You're in a good company. Easy there. beer. So do you guys look for some of these things that could scale up to that level, or are you, or are you looking for more esoteric, like <clears throat> nerdy beer drinker specialty things, or is it a blend? I don't think. Yeah, it seems like. I'll, oh, you I'll can't say. No, I want. I want to hear what you. I, I think Dan's answer, yes. if I may. Well, is, I'm looking for Dan's. Not no, Danny's. well, Dan will I want critique you to... me hard. I love it. I'll get ripped by Dan. <laughs> um, no, but it seems like what's happening for them is that people are approaching them, and depending on how fully formed like their concept is, and how different it is, and how viable it may seem, I think that's when Dan and Jordan or whoever greenlight the project as a new partner. I don't think they're necessarily pursuing any specific types of beers. I mean, they I had a hard kombucha company. They have all sorts of different stuff. So I feel like you're, yeah, I, your own. I would think you'd let me guess your answer. <laughs> <laughs> I would think that you're, you're looking at the portfolio and you're saying, you know, we got to diversify. Like how does this, like this one may be kind of redundant with something else we're doing a concept, you know, this, that's fair. This I mean, yeah, IPA is very similar but to they something have two else. Hard kombuchas, it sounds like, so it's not like they just wanted to get to All one. Right, now the real answer. Yeah. You're both so wrong. 
I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. Uh, no, I think actually, I think both answers are kind of right. The, I can't, um, so we've had yeah, give or take 450 to 500 different people apply. Um, what I can tell you out of that is the people that come to us with like the same idea over mm-hmm. and over again is probably 60% of them. As um, each other or the one they present to Just the idea that they come to us is, is like, oh, we're going to make a hazy IPA brewery and it's going to be for like the everyman. I'm like, okay, well, cool. Yeah. Uh, even if the beer is great and the branding is awesome, I think the like go-to-market strategy there probably lacks and it's something that we could absolutely back up and support and probably grow and do pretty well. But it also for us isn't interesting. So that's when like the portfolio aspect comes into it. Yeah. Like let's hit the diversity uh, marks and diversity doesn't have to just come in terms of people, it's ways of thinking. And so what's fun about lowering the barrier to entry is inherently a very diverse array of people came to the table. But for us now, it's just more about, is there a market for it? And is what you're doing interesting? So, mm. excuse me, jeez. Yeah, that's no, okay. <laughs> this is great. And it's a small That beer will get you. <laughs> You'd think that I do this a lot, but I yeah. actually don't drink that much. Yeah, that's especially kind of during the day. Um, Tim peer pressured you. <laughs> I really did. That's you gonna, you gonna drink one of these with me? Well, yeah. he was planning on <laughs> drinking a beer. He Tim wasn't has planning like on three the beer beers ball. open it's, in his hands. A, like, you gonna know, have one with me? You're gonna make me drink all these three by myself? <laughs> it's a Friday afternoon. <laughs> the, the listeners can't see, but I've got one of the helmets on with <laughs> yeah. the two beers. Good thing you didn't walk in with a bunch of glue. <laughs> just um, glue. No, or what's the with, with us? Yeah. Um, but so to, to tie a bow around it, I think the what has come out of what we've done is yeah. I mean, two different hard kombucha brands, five female-owned brands, the second black-owned brewery in Chicago, an Indian-inspired brand. But these are all people that came to us, not necessarily with like, hey, I'm looking to be you know the the this or that they just came with a fairly original concept one that if you bring it if you bring it to market well as an investor i can see that i'm not going to be wasting my time supporting this whereas someone else could very easily just get beat out on their concept alone because the execution wasn't perfect or whatever and are there any holes in the portfolio currently that you're looking to fill what i'm really excited about with us you know doing this expansion that's coming up is that the the bottleneck that we were hitting with everybody was that we we can't produce enough because our network has grown over time and so when we launch you 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 start at a higher starting place than anyone that essentially came before you so what i'm really excited about now is everyone that comes to us uh, is coming with this this brand this you know series of products this is our this is our ethos. This is our this. This is our that. I'm really excited because I think now that our our capacity is essentially un, uncapped, is people are going to come with very nuanced specific ideas. Like this is a hibiscus flower wine uh, made of sugar and hibiscus. I, I'm throwing out random ideas, but but uh, so. And that's not being, that's not an actual idea. Dibs. So yeah. Dibs on it. <laughs> Hibiscus flower wine, baby. Uh, but, but to that exact point is people can start getting super heady about it. And I think that we could actually be successful with some of the more nuanced ideas just because our network is big enough that people are going to be willing to, to try it or to take a risk on it. Um, and then we also have a small enough, we have a system here in Chicago that's small enough to where we can still trial something just in our tasting room for people that are already conditioned to be open a little bit more open-minded mm-hmm. than they might if they're shopping at you know Benny's or 
Can you give us maybe an example of a conceptually brilliant idea that didn't work out in execution? Totally. So I won't, I won't even Beyond say that. Beyond the hibiscus it, flower wine. Um, the, okay, so this didn't, this didn't work, not work out. It was just really expensive to make, but it tasted incredible, was with um, Joe over at um, Daisy's. We did a collaboration. That's Joe Frillman. Oh, sorry. For all you, yes. for Tracy. Dr. Frillman. <laughs> yeah. Um, with, with. I assume Joe Frillman. Yeah, no, and his brother. <laughs> so um, with the Frillmans. Yeah. Uh, Frillman. We, we did a vermouth-inspired hard kombucha called hmm. Bloom, and it was so cool. It was basically this hard kombucha that we brewed, and then we co-fermented it with orange wine. Whoa. Did they have a recipe for you when they, or just an no, idea? No, we just decided, so what we, what we knew is we wanted to, I, had, I threw out the idea to Joe about doing a vermouth, and we started playing around with ingredients, and he has his farm and where he's pulling in all this, all this awesome stuff, and so we started basically, I mean, literally just throwing stuff into a barrel, and akin to what you would do with making a, a more like botanical base to vermouth and and it was it was tasting really good so then we started playing around more pragmatically with like how can we actually create this with a fermented malt beverage uh license because we can't make wine mm -hmm. whatever we make has to be 51 percent grain based and sugar is grain so we made this kombucha and we co-blended it with orange wine fermented it further less than half was was the wine and then what came out of it was was super cool it did kind of taste like vermouth but it also sort of tasted like this really interesting rosé um the catch was that it wasn't rosé and it wasn't vermouth so you can't really charge for you know those types of prices for this product and the process to get there was so arduous that maybe if you scaled it to you know yeah. insane levels it would actually start to pay dividends but it was too expensive to produce we, we basically sold it at a loss but it, if it, to anyone that tried it it was really good all right that sounds cool is there a target uh, margin you guys shoot for or does it depend on the product i mean i think with same as any under, any other industry we have loss leaders we have stuff yeah. that that that's just to get the name out there but i think the way that this industry operates with the three-tier system the distributors taking a third and the manufacturers taking a third and, and leaving very little is, I mean, you want, hopefully you're going to get a 15 to 20% margin when everything is said and done, but that's, that's pretty tough to mm -hmm. accomplish. Yeah. Especially smaller volume. Mm -hmm. So how, what kind of volume can you scale people to right now before so, you need to look for a contract? With the addition of this new space in Milwaukee, um, that we just basically closed on a couple of weeks ago. Will Jordan be closer to that, or he's staying? Yeah. He's well, he's in Chicago now. I know, but like, it's the, is someone going to be nearer to that? I think he and I we're basically just end up splitting time. Okay, got but it. it's convenient enough. I mean, hour ten. Yeah, it's no hour. traffic. Right. If you're just, I mean, you can go ninety on ninety four and still be yeah. kind of safe. Um, not with that one lane closed right now. No, it's back open. Oh, oh it God. is? Yeah, life oh, changer. Such of, a pain in the butt. As of like yesterday, it yeah. has to be, right? Well, I drove to Lake Forest last night for a paddle match, and uh, it was so slow. Did you win your match, Danny? We did not. I knew, I, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Foreshadowing. Yeah, his partner was a mutual friend. Anyway. Uh, he was a mutual friend until Tim dropped him after he lost the match. Yeah. Is, is there like a fantasy league? For <laughs> Winners only. Paddle? Yeah. <laughs> kind of drop oh. are we talking about yeah, exactly. uh, 
George, so that facility can handle really, really, really big batches. Like our biggest batch that we can do in Chicago is 20 barrels, which is the equivalent of about 5,000 pints. That seems like a lot. Seems like a I lot. I mean, but I guess not relative. To... When you when you ship it around to 600 spots in the city, it dwindles pretty quickly. Do you do kegs and stuff as well? Kegs, uh, cans, all the fun, all that fun stuff. This, cool. But this other one, the one in Milwaukee, the smallest, the smallest batch is 60 barrels which is 15,000 pints, and then the largest batch is uh, 240 barrels. Those, you burp too. See, this is, well, I don't know what the fest beer is. Got no <laughs> proof. Um, the 240 barrels is, I mean, for the math wizards, that's 120,000 pints. Hmm. It's real stuff. Wow. So you guys, did you say you guys raised money for this new expansion? So is that, I haven't run off on it, but is that money from like big beer the, have they showed interest or, or would you want to go down that road not from not from big beer it was led by a venture <laughs> fund um invest which is actually a, a local chicago investment group um but the cpg industry a consumer packaged goods mm-hmm. industry doesn't have that many investment arm uh, companies it's that's a lot of those are focused on tech and science yeah. and hmm. and um so they're they're like one of 10 viable investment groups and they're one of the best yeah uh, there's no doubt even whether or not brian rosen is listening to this or giuseppe Infacino. <laughs> yeah they're our biggest listeners <laughs> yeah he's our guest next week yeah so. they've never missed an episode <laughs> uh but but they they led the um the path but then we had you know some of the people behind cresco labs came on board and a lot of people that believed in this idea got behind it is there an intersection for weed and beer I think so. What we, does that look like, do you think? So what's funny about it, um, Illinois becoming rec legal is that it actually hurt the manufacturing. Well, some people will disagree with, with me on this, but we were able to um, produce CBD products on-premise in Chicago prior to going rec legal. Once it went rec legal, they created more laws that sort of divided the lines of what you could do and where you could do it. Hmm. So that hurt us uh, technically at that point in time. Now we can only use hemp or anything that doesn't have any stuff in it. Um, THC, I guess, right? Yeah, or, or like remnants of anything that could actually impact you. Yeah. But the model that we have could is immediately applicable. So if we wanted to just shut down Pilot as being a brewery incubator tomorrow and turn it into a cannabis incubator, we could, we, as long as we had the license for it. Would it have to be a be- in beverage form, like can or something like that? I mean, with our with our equipment, yes, yeah, but yeah. but I mean, this this type of business could exist, and you know, it's it's it has analogs all over. Mm-hmm. Even in wine right now, it's called custom crushing, and in, in the bourbon space, it's like the process of buying and selling bourbon barrels. Hmm. What is the wildest pitch you've witnessed on a beer concept? Hmm. I think without breaking any NDAs. Yeah, does everybody um, sign an NDA? They do. Yeah. So that's why I gave so the hibiscus sign, ideas because no NDAs, one's ever right. actually pitched that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, they're, they're mutual NDAs. But yeah. the, oh gosh, something that I could share would be, I think it's it's less, sometimes it's less about the, um, 
the product and more about, about the, the people. Pro- yeah, the product, yeah. the people, and who their target market is. Like people will, will absolutely just fabricate who their market is and and act as if it's real. Yeah, <laughs> which just uh, is amazing. And I and I it sounds, but it'd be the equivalent of someone saying like, "Hey, let's overgeneralize a specific audience and pretend like they don't have any lives outside of whatever I my expectation is." <laughs> and then I'm going to create an, an item for them, and they're all going to drink it starting tomorrow. And we do get <laughs> we do get those ideas. Sold. Yeah. Um, I did think that I and I would say I told this to Bavik when he came out with an Indian inspired brewery. Um, Bavik Modi is the owner of uh, Azadi Brewing. I I gave him pause and I said, "Are we um, by doing this?" are we limiting ourselves to like what you could eventually be? And he's like, no, you idiot. And like the 50% of the liquor store owners in the, in the uh, city of Chicago are of, you know, Indian descent. Like they're going to love this. And sure enough, they did. I mean, he, <laughs> wow. he did really well. And these, and, mm. and not only is smart, they also hand sell his products. They, they get so excited that yeah, someone's actually creating really for smart. them that they go, here's a Zadi brewing. Uh, so that's not a crazy idea. It was a, an idea that worked really well, but yeah. it's just interesting how you can take that extremely productive approach at focusing on a, a specific uh, demographic. Are the flavors distinct at all, or is it just about yeah. that it's an Indian? No, I mean, he brings in uh, ingredients fresh okay, from Mumbai. He has a family that owns a farm. I mean, they bring in cool. lemongrass tea. They, it's really cool. cool. Yeah. Wow. Is there someone you've passed on who has blown up? Um. Oh, that sounds sweet. We have we've had brands that we passed on that went on to produce, mm-hmm. which is good. I'm glad to know that we're not still the gate that we're not the gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't say anyone that's like exploded per se. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, people have, well, have. How about what's your advice for someone who wants to pitch and get you to say yes? Uh, um. I think thinking through growth. You can make a great product. You don't even have to have a great product to start with. We can get it there. Like R&D is really important. Um, it's a really important piece of, of all of it. But if you don't ha- have an understanding of how you want to grow something, if you take that, that aspect for granted, then you're not going to succeed. What is the least that people come to a pitch with? just like an idea with nothing like nothing beyond like i mean people have so the good thing now is we have enough checks and balances in our process that you're not going to probably get to actually pitch us in person without having a pretty well thought out um idea Mm -hmm. but we've had a lot of people pitch us on basically private label producing for them and then and that's not fun i mean if if we're going to do a private label for you i'm just going to do it for myself right um so people come without like a product oh oh Often. Is that all the time? No, I mean now we require that you come with a product. Okay, we got want it. you to be to manifest the idea yourself. But a lot of people have come to us and be like, "Hey, that thing that you did with Luna Bay, let's do it." Here's the name, <laughs> and then I I just like no, because then that totally shortchanges everyone that actually has that's that's like making a boy band versus actually supporting yeah. you know someone who's truly. But creative. I guess like Joe's idea you liked, and it seems like it was but that just was a collaboration. That was a collaboration. He came and, up with the idea for the vermouth. Well, the vermouth thing was came from me, but with Joe it was like, hey, let's do a collaboration together. This doesn't necessarily have to be this business. We just want to have some fun. He's up the street, mm-hmm. and and we know each other pretty well, so. That was us saying, let's throw something down and, and, yeah. and screw around here. But also with Joe, it was, I mean, he's a, 
he's a chef. He knows how to put together flavor profiles probably better than anybody else. That Allegedly I, a chef. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love but, you, Joe. <laughs> but, but the... I mean, what manifested out of that was a, an experiment. It wasn't even that was never. Hey, let's go out there and you know launch a company. Yeah. So, so do you guys? How do you do different rounds? Like, when do you start looking for new people? Is it like every six months you've got a new batch coming in? So until we had until we really started hitting this ceiling with our production capabilities, we were trying to launch a new outfit every three ish months. Hmm. And um, so do people stay with you for three months then? And then they, it's... they would stay with us probably, it'd be rolling. So they would come on board and then we would have maybe 12 months planned out for them within the context of our current facility. And then we would, you know, push them out to subcontract to somebody else or they would have their own space, what have you. So how many brands do you have at one time? Five, okay. five-ish. And right now, who are the five? Um, Azadi Brewing, which is the Indian-inspired brewery. Funky Town Brewery, which is the this they're on, they are the second black owned brewery in Chicago, but now there are quite a few that have popped up. Which what is was really the first? Awesome. Um, well, I guess that's a that's a, a, a conversation to be had on okay. who is the first. <laughs> the Vice uh, out of downtown was was the first, but then there are a handful of other breweries outside of Greater Chicago, and that would probably raise their hand as well. Mm. Um, Tim's really giving you the hard hitting. He's quizzing. No, it's a good, but I, I think it's a good for, so what, in a lot of instances too, like we would do caveat, but it's in Chicago, the second mm-hmm. in Chicago. Yeah. And how, how far away are most of the applicants local or do you guys no, get people from all over the place? So right now, Azadi is technically from Cincinnati. We have a Rome hard kombucha. Um, I didn't bring that today, but it's really good. Uh, they're out of Lake Tahoe. Hmm. Um, the Luna Bay was out of San Diego. Uh, we have another brewery that we're incubating or that we're about to launch. It's out of LA. Uh, so do you cool. incorporate their, is that part of their branding? Like do generally, you, I mean, you try to play that up like that where they're, we where do, they started. I mean, they do. We yeah. are the, the ambiance of our tasting room is, is modular enough. It's like all earth tones and very minimalist. And mm-hmm. so it was intentionally that way so that yeah. it could be a foundation for them. Do you hide like Italian beefs and Chicago dogs in their labels? <laughs> we, deep dish we, pizza. Yeah, it's like a little easier. If you put eggs. it under the black light, you see deep dish pizza logos, <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> just start like uh, using the like uh, not the Bears references, but the different F- SNL references, yeah, like exactly. in the, <laughs> the Surgeon General, <laughs> the Chicago yeah. stars on the bottom of the can. Um, but we do anyway. So, so people come from all over. I think yeah. of the 500 some applicants, I would bet you half of them are from like the Midwest. Any international? Definitely. Um, London, we had one come in from Belize. They flew in. You better Belize it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they got Belize. Is there, that <laughs> no, didn't work. Is there any, uh, are there any like over the top presentations that stand out in your mind? Like, like so the tough thing now something like tearaway pants we i mean what i what i get a kick out of is that everyone that comes forward has like they have their you know wherever they came from right and so if you're a brewer that came through the ranks odds are you're going to be a little bit more off the cuff about it your you know your general demeanor if i'm going to over generalize is going to be of a you know it, it, the beer speaks for itself kind of a mindset yeah. but then we've also had consultants who it's it's like a, a, a partnership with a brewer and then a consultant 
And so it's super put together, but then yeah. the liquid doesn't stand up. Yeah. And is there somebody who's just has a, an amazing product and concept, but they're a terrible presenter? Are you able to see through that? Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone's nervous. And yeah. I also think that it's so funny because we're just a bunch of the panel that we've established. Yeah, is, how many guys are they facing? Guys and gals. Four. Okay. Four or five. It's our hospitality director, Mary. It's our head brewer, Glenn. Um, it's usually me. And then we'll probably tr- we'll try and bring somebody else in from the outside that just gives it. You know, One wild of, card? Yeah. I'd love yeah, to be a fly on the wall. Jordan doesn't get the invite. <laughs> Jordan comes, but Jordan's also a, a very busy man. And so he doesn't always sit into those types of meetings. But he's the one that, like, when everything is said and done, he, like, he'll go through it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I see how this is going to work. I can yeah. appreciate it. Uh, but we, what's fun now too, is that as our network has expanded, like we just hired the, um, our chief innovation officer is the guy named Todd Haug and he was former head brewer for Surly and then, mm. and then he was with three Floyds. And so you, you know, you'll have some, some pretty real muscle in the room, but yeah. it's still a bunch of humble people that are just kind of there to screw around. And I'm sure everyone can identify with the people pitching. Oh, yeah. for sure. So what's next? I know you guys are ramping up production you've got this space in um milwaukee are there are you thinking more retail spots and incubation spots in different cities i mean we definitely want to so what by adding the new spot in milwaukee what it allows us to do is basically have this uncapped production capability so that we're is that of, production only or is it like another tasting it's a room? big tasting room too. Oh, okay cool. yeah big tasting room um like really just beautiful space uh through and through but it it'll allow us to grow any brand and not require that you ever eventually need a brewery they the thing that i say is that you would never ask an artist to eventually build their own recording studio they do that by choice mm-hmm. and so the same thing should exist in this creative uh, space so um with adding that we i hope that we'll add additional locations in other you know, culturally rich markets like in LA where again, the barrier to entry is really high or expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think about places like London and international markets that love American craft beer or are at the sort of pinnacle of innovation in, in our space. So Tokyo is a great market. Uh, Sao Paulo because of Anheuser-Busch is a great market. Yeah. So we, we would absolutely think about stuff like that, but then we're also investing in our sales team. We want to be able to, create this frictionless go-to-market you know in theory we we entertain your idea we bring your idea to life and then we actually help you legitimately grow not Mm -hmm. just test and prove yeah i just read that 80 percent of imported beer in america comes from mexico are there is anybody coming to you with a mexican style so it's funny you say that because, uh, there aren't very many Mexican uh, loggers like in the craft game. I think mm-hmm. about Chicago and Casa Humilde has one, but again, there it's three Mexican gentlemen that are launching that brand. And so, outside of that, I think Cruz Blanca has one. Technically, our house brand Brewers Kitchen has one, but I think it might just be because between Modelo and Corona and but it's such and Tecate, it's such a hard market to get into. You can't, yeah, you're never going to compete with their pricing. Which one? Seven Equis. Oh yeah. <laughs> what? Dos Equis. Oh, Dos Equis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. Unfortunately, just a random amount of numbers. <laughs> um, Too many Equis. Yeah, so many Equis.
This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. Well, I think we're ready for the gratuity round. Let's move on. Uh If you're ready. I'm ready. All right. Dan, what's your death row meal? Oh, God. Death row meal. Um, um, Oh, God. What is it? It's probably just pizza. It's probably like a Neapolitan-style pizza with absolutely pepperoni. And um, to drink is, unfortunately, it's not a beer. It's probably a really nice, like, Barolo. Barolo. Nice. Yeah, no one's cool. ever thrown a beverage into the Love that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, that was great. What's uh what are your Neapolitan spots and you go to Spock and Napoli? Spock and Napoli is amazing. Yeah. Um I feel like most of my pizza eating days were back in, in like New York and LA, but um there was a place in LA or there was a place in New York called Lisola that I used to love. My actually my go to pizza spot here right now is pizza friendly pizza. Yeah. Mm. That is like yeah. top notch. That's great. Cool. What is your favorite hidden gem restaurant that flies under the radar? Or over the radar. Or way over the radar. <laughs> I feel like I these, are, about. these are supposed to be quick fire questions. No, it doesn't. Yeah, you also, take okay. your time. Um, under the radar. Or just something kind of random that you think doesn't get enough love. Or This well, is really a question of uh, old school restaurants. So yeah. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, uh, Lavish Street Tavern does a killer burger but Wait, now the place levitt street tavern oh, levitt street tavern uh, cool they do a killer burger uh gemma foods tony cortaro is a good buddy of mine his new outfit is called gemma foods yep. at timeout is pretty impressive they've got killer uh aprons yes they do. oh they do do they buy them for you <laughs> yeah. no way i didn't know that and uh shannon my he wife, always my looks wife's good cousin works there too oh is that right yeah um no nepotism she got it on her own no way yeah so they do awesome stuff tony's a really good buddy um gosh yeah i'm gonna stick with those two i'm super pumped about Gemma. they're they're new but they do awesome stuff uh whether it's like to take home or have it their spot at timeout and then levitt street is just like feel good cool i've never been i gotta check yeah. it out uh what's your favorite fast food he likes them all. I do. <laughs> That's why I'm burping. It's because of the fast food I ate before I came here. Um, probably Shake Shack. Okay. What's That's your a good order? Answer. Yeah. I mean, it was like in and out but their fries aren't that good. Yeah. in and yeah, well, way Everyone knows Shack. Culver is better than both of those. No way. So. Culver's is fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm big on Shake <laughs> well, Shack. What? It's I fine. mean, in and outs burger is better than Shake Are you not Shack's eating burger. Culver's every day in Madison? I pass <laughs> by it every day. <laughs> yeah. I actually, they, they had, they ran out of, my daughter loves their buffalo chicken nuggets and they, they ran out of them during the pandemic hmm. and I haven't been back. Whoa. How old is she? She's six. Don't She's judge. She's crushing those buffalo she nuggets. She loves them. They She's love all things buffalo. buffalo yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the burping runs in the family. Now. All right, what's your favorite beer? You may have already answered it. Um, favorite beer, like actual favorite beer. It changes, but I would say um, anything that Russian River out of um, Northern California puts out is amazing because they do. Yeah, is that like uh, Guerneville? 
They uh, Santa Rosa is their like brew pub, and then they have a, a bigger space in Windsor. Uh, but they do hoppy beer really well. They do pilsners really well. They do sours really well. So anything from them. Cool. What's a trivia category that you would dominate? I mean, music. Yeah. Music composition, music artists. Um, and actually, I'm really bad at trivia. So that's if anyone ever asked me to participate, <laughs> I, I caveat. Like, I'm only going to get the music ones right. <laughs> that's good. My knowledge base is pathetic. You'd be great on a music's team. Good. You got yeah. all the music stuff covered. Yeah. As a reminder from the beginning, I didn't go to class. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, what is a beer trend that you would like to see disappear? Like milkshake stuff. The just dairy products getting into beer. Really well, I don't know if me. I've even encou- have you encountered. Yeah, that like, I mean, there's milk like stouts lactose. and all that stuff. Oh, okay. I mean, milk stouts are at least a style that's like sort of withstood the test of time. But the the milkshake IPA and the smoothie beers that taste more like fruit juice than hmm. the than a fermented beverage. Yeah. If it doesn't taste like a fr- like it's been fermented, I don't want it. Yeah. Don't Fair pitch enough. Dan on a. Yeah. Milk I mean, we've <laughs> we've concept. actually we've not really incubated many brands that have leaned into that. They'll do it as a as like a way to test the market. But fortunately. Chicago doesn't really buy into that trend either. Yeah. So you said you weren't very studious. What do you attribute your success to? I think a need to be busy. I think I'm I'm really good at um, arguing both sides of something, and so like with that, I can I can see um, like the the reasons to do one thing over the other like pretty quickly. Um, but I'm also just like an absolute willingness to grind. My, I mean, I, I story that I have not, I don't tell very often is that I didn't get into business school right away. I took, if undergrad is eight semesters, um, you're supposed to apply at UW in your second semester uh, of your freshman year. And I did, and I didn't get in. And so then um, I, sh- I should have learned my lesson and gone to class. But then I applied and did not get in until the first semester of my senior year. But I had taken all of the classes. Oh, yeah. Wow. And so if I had not gotten in, I would have been screwed. Yeah, or I'd still be in school. In, independent scholar major. I mean, I don't even know what I would do. Because if they don't give you like the check mark that you're in the business school, all yeah. the classes I took were business classes. And so I wouldn't have you know, supposedly gotten the the degree. But hmm. but I think in those instances, like I did have a level of like blind aspiration and I did you know, I I took a big, a fairly big risk. Um, but I was, you know, pretty diligent and paid off, made it happen. Yeah. The, uh, I think a question that got skipped perhaps, uh, was like, what's your favorite spirit? Well, we weren't done with the questions. But I mean, but what's your favorite <laughs> spirit? <laughs> um, probably, I mean, I'm a big mezcal guy, yeah. but I also love making a Manhattan. Okay. So I would say. Um, if I'm if I'm mixing, then then it's gonna be bourbon or rye. But if and you're if out I'm of drink, the spot, yeah, then it's then it's uh, mezcal. So you're sipping mezcal, you're if mixing I'm at, if bourbon. I, and if rye. I'm at Scofla, I'm I'm drinking whatever is the closest thing to a mezcal or tequila uh, beverage. Versus if I'm just doing it by Got myself, it. I'm probably gonna make something with bourbon. And so that mezcal or tequila beverage is gonna be something refreshing, or it could be stirred. Doesn't matter. Or... I'm gonna say it's refreshing. Okay, cool. Yeah. And is it spicy? It can be. I love. A, I mean, I make a mezcal Bloody Mary. Oh, nice. Okay. That's not a Bloody Maria. That's so a it's like a Bloody, Bloody Mario. It's a smoky Bloody Maria. <laughs> yeah, Bloody, a, a Bloody Mario Italian. Yeah. I mean, that's. 
Yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah. yeah. I guess you're right. <laughs> it's a me, Mario. <laughs> All right, and last question. What is something that bars or restaurants do that annoy you? Hmm. Bars or restaurants do that. And we can throw breweries in there too. Um I, it's tough to say that anything that annoys me because like we've all been through the ringer with the pandemic and yeah, like, I, mm-hmm. it drives me crazy when I get a one star because of QR codes or any other bullshit like that. Yeah. But, um, oh God. Uh, don't, I mean, don't clean your draft lines, like some basic stuff like that, that I mm-hmm. feel like I, if you're the expert, when I go to a restaurant or I go to a brewery, if you're supposed to be the expert and you're better at this than I am, which you should be, um, then then cleanliness I think is a big is a big thing. I'm surprised. Yeah, cleanliness hasn't come. Oh, someone said bathrooms. I think right. Yeah. 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 I mean, the draft lines is a very good answer for Dan. Especially. Yeah. Is that regulated? Do you have to do that at a certain amount of time, or is that just? It's up not to regulated, you? but most people do it like at least weekly. We used to have we had beer on tap at our office. Mm-hmm. Um, we had two, we could do like two, is that, what's the, t- what's the soul? Yeah. And uh, so we had two beers on tap and then we had a guy who would come like every two weeks to clean the line. Leader's beverage, I bet. Uh, he'd come with his daughter. It was oh. like a guy. <laughs> and he came from the burbs. But we were always like having it's to fill the CO2 up. And there's like one place in the city where you can do it. So we were always driving up there. It's like NF for, for plebeians like yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right, right. Yeah, I have no resources. The other thing too that actually throws me off is when uh, cutting fruit for the accoutrement on your on your cocktail. Like the process of watching people cut fruit. Like if it is not, if you're not treating it like it's science and you're and it's like it's so disgusting. It oh, can yeah, be so disgusting. Sure. Yeah, I also just don't like to see that really during service. Right. Yeah, we're you guys. Yeah, don't you need to be that pulling them out. The bar, yeah, dude. that's all yeah. done. Yeah, back to like Grand style. I want to see it perfectly and. Yeah, ugh. exactly. Ugh, well, yeah, browned so limes and stuff. That's a, actually a good one for me. Uh, like browned limes are a big pet peeve. Have lime prices settled down? Yeah, maybe? they've certainly settled down. They're actually less expensive than lemons now. Love it. Um, <laughs> all right. Great note. All right, Dan. You know. And on that note, <laughs> I want to thank Dan for joining us in the studio today. <laughs> so we're going to start squeezing limes now instead of lemons. Oh, man. Life gives you limes. Yeah. <laughs> and that concludes our interview with Dan Abel, Danable Lecter. He does not approve of that nickname, I'm sure. No, I think he'd like that. He, yeah, he may find it funny. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And please don't forget to check out our Instagram at Joiners Pod, where we put up unique cocktail recipes tailored to our guests, as well as throwback photos on Thursdays, ideally, uh, if we get all the captions in time. Yeah, TBT, man. TBT. Um, yeah. This episode was produced by Matt Haddock and music by Captain Cuts. See you next week. Goodbye.